Welcome to another episode of Chalk Talk. In this episode, we're sitting down with Dr. Jonathan Hill, the Royal Brompton Hospital in London, who's going to share with us about his five-year journey with coronary IVL and some of the things he's really excited about looking at PCR 2023, including the introduction of our new Shockwave C2 Plus catheter. Hope you enjoy the episode. So, Dr. Hill, thank you for joining us on another episode of Chalk Talk. Uh, obviously, you've had a really long experience with IVL, dates back many years. So I'm just wondering, could you just take us back to the beginning, the first time you used the technology and kind of, you know, what were your thoughts at that point? And did you have kind of an aha moment when you first discovered it? Absolutely. That was the most uh, memorable moment, I think, of my interventional career was the first shockwave case. It was several years ago. And it was the first patient recruited for the Disrupt CAD1 study. Um, so first patient treated in Europe. And it was a really absolutely tremendous moment. There'd been a, quite a lead up to that point. I'd been contacted by the founder of the company a couple of years before about getting involved with this new product. And... I think when you first hear about shockwave, you kind of think, well, I'd love to see that in practice. You know, does it really do what it's supposed to do? It became clear that there was an ideal target lesion to demonstrate the efficacy of a shockwave bloom. And this particular patient was a fairly typical complex PCI patient uh, who would have routinely have undergone rotational atherectomy and had a balloon undilatable lesion. We used an OPN balloon, so a very high pressure. Remember, this particular inflation was to 48 atmospheres and those dog-boned balloon. This was the, the week before the case. I would have normally gone on to rotational atherectomy at that point, but spoke to the patient on the table, said, would you mind, you know, we've got a special new tool coming next week. Would you mind waiting to see if we can use this? And the patient was very obliging. He came back the following week and I knew that the shockwave team were flying over. So we had this patient ready on the table as the team landed. They came straight from the airport to King's College Hospital. There Arrival was eagerly anticipated by everyone. So I think there were about 20 people in the lab. The previous case had been really quite prolonged uh, because it hadn't, um, you know, hadn't been successful. So patient was prepared in the usual way. Um, I knew that a bloom would cross because we'd had an OPN, which is quite a bulky bloom, across the lesion. So it was literally put the guide in, put the wire down and said, we did an OCT study and I'm a 100% OCT user, 100% imager. And it was clear that there was this really, really thick concentric ring of calcium, totally undilated, totally unmarked by the OPN balloon. It was a 3.5 uh, lesion or the external elastic lamina was 3.5. So we used a 3.5 balloon, put the balloon down and it was tightly dog boned as you would sort of imagine uh, it would look i think we all sort of looked around at each other and uh, then pressed the button and then the shocks came and i think it was by the third shot we just saw this dog bone balloon just popped open like this and everybody in the lab we all just everyone 
smiled. And it was that that was the eureka moment for, for everybody there. They saw this thing works. This does what it's supposed to do. So any doubts that we'd had prior to that moment that Shockwave works, they were completely dispelled by that one moment. So pushing the button, then everything changed. And so it became clear that this was a technology which was simple to deliver, it was very safe, and it works, and it works quickly. So that, to me, was the seminal moment in my shockwave sort of history. And fortunately, when we then recruited more patients for the Disrupt CAD-1 study, we had that moment repeated time and time again. Eureka moments. So, so for people who hadn't seen it, then that was a really, you know, it's always an aha moment. So Shockwave, I think, has given lots of us these brilliant moments. And, and it's those moments that absolutely prove the technology does what it's supposed to do. Yeah. And those collection of moments in CAD1, kind of thinking about that, you know, when you saw that data pulled together for the first time, you know, what were your, what were some of your key takeaways? Well, the key takeaway, well, it was two. One, it was safe. It was a very safe way to treat complex patients. It simplified complexity. And two, it worked. It was the, the efficacy was there for us all to see. Stent expansion was, you know, 100% expansion. It absolutely worked. And so right at the outset, having established, quickly established a very high level of safety and a very high level of efficacy in those first group of patients. I think the journey from there onwards was really just accumulating more data in more patients in more complex disease. But mm. right from the outset, it works and it's safe. Yes. Yeah, following the, following the CAD1 data, that obviously that's when we got our C mark. So when you had kind of commercial access to the technology, you know, how did you, how did you find yourself integrating IVL into your daily practice and what kind of lesions were you using it in? Well, we used it in everything and, you know, we, we hadn't been doing left main lesions. So I think as soon as we got word that we got C mark and we had devices on the shelf, then it was used for all of that complex patient subset. So whether it was, you know, unprotected left main bifurcation, whether it was in, you know, chronic total occlusion cases, multivessel disease, um, patients with very severe LV dysfunction, with multivessel disease requiring impeller support, we started using it in the most complex cases immediately. And it, it almost immediately became the go-to tool for that type of uh, lesion complexity. The real world population almost instantly became a real world complex population. And were there certain calcium morphologies? Because obviously the inclusion criteria for CAD1 was the arc greater than 270 degrees. But over time, how has your view of the role of IVL and different calcium morphologies changed? I, from the outset, believed that it would affect all calcium morphologies because shockwaves passing through calcified material, it would have an effect even if there wasn't calcium on the other side of the vessel. So I used it 
wherever there was a heavy burden of calcium, whether it was nodular, eccentric, or concentric, from early on, and especially in left main lesions, I found it to be fully efficacious, getting good stent areas, irrespective of the calcium morphology. Now, this was really sort of counter to the the prevailing wisdom that came from the calcium community, if there is such a thing, predominantly people who were doing a high volume of rotational atherectomy, and some of the people who I think who'd had less experience with shockwave were really reserving this for the prototypical concentric lesion. But in my experience, right from the outset, it worked in all morphologies. And so when we were then looking at the patient populations in Disrupt CAD1, CAD2, CAD3, we were very careful to segment the analyses into the different calcium morphologies. And very gratifyingly, as we had predicted or as we had directly experienced, the stent expansion, if you're looking at that as an efficacy measure, the stent expansion seemed to be equal in all the different morphologies. So nodular calcium actually was treated very effectively by shockwave. And I'm struck now by how efficacious it can be with nodular calcium. And I think that's because we've learned so much about calcium morphology triggered by shockwave that we're now much, much better at making our diagnosis because of intravascular imaging. But sort of paradoxically now, the intravascular imaging is almost less important because you don't really need to determine whether or not it's concentric calcium or eccentric calcium or nodular calcium. It works for them all. So my decision to use intravascular imaging now has changed since I started using Shockwave. Before it was to look at the calcium morphology and the vessel dimensions for external elastic lamina measurement. But now it's really just purely for sizing and checking stent expansion. So and because I, I do imaging in nearly 100% of cases, probably about 20, 30% IVUS, um, 70 to 80% OCT, I use that not for detecting calcium, but for looking at vessel size. That's an interesting insight. Going back, you know, a few years now, probably almost five, another kind of key insight that you had that I distinctly remember sitting in the lab at King's College was when you drew on a piece of paper, the angiogram and with multiple lesions, and I think for the first time coined the the term, the pulse management strategy, something that I think we have adopted in our medical education initiatives quite well. Thank you very much for that. Talk a little bit about that concept and kind of how you adapt it uh, into your daily practice then when you're delivering energy. I, I think the principle of sharing out the shockwave shocks between different lesions is a kind of, it's sort of self-evident if you've got a balloon that can give you 80 shocks and you've got two lesions, maybe in different vessels or different segments of the same vessel, then you want to be able to treat both segments 
with their fair share of the the shockwave shocks. So I think it was really just out of, you know, accepting that there is an additional cost for each balloon that's used, that if you can achieve the required end result with one balloon, then you should do that. And I think it's it's an acknowledgement or an acceptance or an, an understanding, in fact, of there is a dose effect. The more shocks you apply to dense calcium, the more modification is undertaken. You want to be able to do just the right amount of modification to allow for full stent expansion. Mm-hmm. So you have to manage how you share out the share out the shocks. But inevitably, if you've got someone with multivessel disease and calcium everywhere, then you may need more than one balloon. It may not be in every case, but you, you may need more than one balloon. Or the alternative, which I think we must have spoken at the time, is, well, we need more shocks. So that's why, you know, C2 Plus is a great development in that it will, it will give more shocks, more shocks, more calcium modification, more segments completed. Absolutely. We'll get to that in just one second. I just want to go back to one thing you said about the dose response. Do you think that different calcium morphologies require kind of different doses or, you know, in in your kind of experience, you know, between eccentric, concentric and nodular, you know, to achieve effective modification, what's, what's that dosing strategy look like? I, I, I think that there is a difference and that with a concentric lesion, then there is amplification of the signal because of wave reflection. I think that that principle happens, and and I'm sure that the physicists would be able to prove that in in a fairly uh, simple way. With eccentric calcium, where there is no wave reflection, then actually you probably need to apply more shocks to that area because you you lose the additional benefit of, of, of shock wave reflection. And it's the same with nodular calcium. So I think the way that I've integrated that into my practice is I've just been using all the shocks that are available at the area of maximum calcium. I I didn't understand the logic that if it's something that's totally safe, that why you would only give 10 shocks or 20 shocks just because you see the balloon expand. I, I would I now would always give all of the shocks. Makes a lot of sense. And speaking of all the shocks, obviously being one of the leading centers in Europe, you're one of the first to kind of get access to to C2 plus with 50% more pulses. And what are some of your first impressions of using the new catheter with the additional pulses? Well, in terms of its usability, it's the same. And, and, uh, you know, it's very deliverable. I think it comes into its own in left main treatment and where you clearly want to be able to treat both limbs and you tend to have very high burden of calcium at the bifurcation and in the proximal segments of the LAD and the circumflex. So having one balloon to do the job rather than having to use two balloons, I think is a big advantage. Enhances the the workflow of the procedure. It makes the procedure more efficient. It really allows you to, you know, increase the dose to the areas of maximum calcium with only one balloon. We're hopeful that it does as well, and others share your perspective. So, you know, thinking back now, five years from kind of when you started your IVL journey, kind of compared to where it is today, 
how would you characterize the approach to calcium modification, how it's changed? Well, I'm going to give you my personal opinion, um, which is not necessarily the currently the mainstream opinion, but I hope it will become that. My approach is that Shockwave has simplified everything. It's simplified the treatment process, so making a complex process simpler. And it's simplified the workflow. And by that, I mean the clinical decision-making, the pathway, if you look at the algorithm that we've started with, is now a much simpler algorithm. Because if you accept the principle that you can address all calcium morphologies, then you can use it in every calcium morphology. And you have a, a way of identifying a high calcium burden before the procedure, potentially CT, or you see it on coronary angiography. Those two facts, knowing that it works in every morphology, wherever there is high burden of calcium, the logical next step for me is to use the safest, most efficacious technology. So that, to me, suggests that the strategy, which simplifies everything, is that if you've got heavy calcium of whatever morphology and a balloon will cross the lesion, then you're going to use IVL. And so that's my kind of IVL first strategy. Is there heavy calcium? Yes. Can you cross it with a balloon? Yes, use IVL. If you can't cross, then use a crossing device, rotational atherectomy or orbital atherectomy. So simplified even further, if you can cross it, you can shock it. So that's to me has really opened the door to all of the coronary operators that perhaps don't routinely use rotational atherectomy or don't use orbital atherectomy or don't have access to laser and who may be working in a non-surgical center doing you know the standard coronary work that you've got a, a safe and efficacious technology which is simple to use and can be used in all calcium morphologies why would you not use it yeah to summarize it's basically if you can cross it you can shock it and ivl first yeah. And on that note of kind of opening doors, obviously a lot of physicians are still just getting access in geographies across the world to IVL for the first time this year. In addition to that concept, is there anything else that you wish you would have known five years ago that you would pass on to those physicians who are just starting their journey? I would emphasize the efficacy in all calcium morphologies and that. Don't overcomplicate it. We've had a quite a sort of learning curve with quite complicated calcium algorithms, which I think has been, I think has been extremely helpful in this learning curve. However, I think we've we've learned, and I think you can now put into practice what we've learned, which doesn't necessarily mean that every case needs to be done with intravascular imaging. It doesn't mean that every case, you know, needs to have multiple different tools available. I think if, you, if you're going to have a toolbox, the number one tool in the toolbox will be IVL. If you can't cross, then you're going to use an atherectomy technology. Yeah. 
if you think about kind of where we stand from a clinical evidence generation, are there any unanswered questions, you know, that exist for you today uh, surrounding IVL or kind of where we should be going for um, uh, next from a clinical evidence uh, generation? I, I don't think so. Um, I think the shockwave investigation program with the sponsored studies with the disrupt series of studies has been a spectacularly well run operation and you know credit to the clinical trials team you know really outstanding world-class delivery but there's also a very very enthusiastic group globally of of investigators who all want to work with the technology. And I think there is a, a tremendous range of investigator-initiated uh, studies around the world addressing all of these questions, whether it's efficacy in left-main stem lesions. I think there are multiple registries running where we'll have a whole range of real-world patients from multiple different geographies. I'm involved in the registry in India, for example, which is going to shortly will have recruited over a thousand patients. And there are similar, you know, large scale operations in, in other countries. So I think the program is really comprehensive. And I think it's going to be answering all the questions. I hope that it reinforces the safety message, uh, which I think was established very early on. And I'm sure will reinforce the efficacy message. I think it will become clearer where new users, when they adopt this technology, is how it's going to integrate into their practice. But I don't think there's going to be large differences between geographies. I'd be very interested to see how it grows in Japan, which is a 100% imaging country. I'd be very interested to see what happens in China. Certainly in India, it's really you know going great guns there. But I think everywhere... It's a technology that generates goodwill, I think, because it works and it's safe and it's easy to use and everyone can use it. Yeah, no, we're looking forward to some of the first readouts of the ISR program. I know we're going to have a few presentations at PCR this year and and hopefully look forward to kind of celebrating the uh, the five-year yeah. anniversary of the commercial availability yeah. uh, PCR as well. So I think that the next thing that Shockwave should address is is crossing that you know you've got one solution for all calcium lesions so if in those uncrossable lesions that there is some technology maybe shockwave technology that can help with crossing then i think you know that would be great to see yeah would encourage anybody interested in that to come visit our booth at PCR and we can talk more yeah, about well, there you go. it. So. <laughs> well, Dr. Hill, thank you very much for your time. Really appreciate it. Look forward to seeing you soon at PCR. Until then, uh, stay safe, travel well. Absolute pleasure. Thanks, Scott. Thanks. Thanks for listening to another episode of Chalk Talk. We look forward to seeing you hopefully at PCR 2023. Until then, for more information on the Shockwave C2 Plus catheter, please visit moreenergywhereitcounts.com. Thanks.